scripture reading this evening is taken from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 to 13. 1 Chronicles 29, 10-13. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Good evening. Looks like another weather event is coming. You know, when it's um, anything other than snow predicted coming down, it makes me a little nervous. You know, if it's snow... I'd say bring it on and lots of it, um, but when it's all the other stuff, that's it's something different. And with ice, so many things can go wrong, not just the roads becoming dangerous. My mind goes to power outages. Um, if you've ever been through that, you know, and you're without power for maybe a couple of days, you, uh, you remember those things. Because we are used to, we like to flip the switch and power comes on. You open the refrigerator and everything's cold. You know, the got your, your heater going and your electricity will, you know, at least blows that warm out and air out and keeps us comfortable. But if you have to go days without power, you realize just how important it is. I mentioned this this morning. And it's the question I want to kick off tonight. If the Holy Spirit were to be turned off from your life, would you notice? Would you know that He was gone? So that's the question I want us to wrestle with just to begin with as a church and for each of us individually. If the Holy Spirit were to leave, would you even know? Of course, what goes with that is what difference does that make? Does he make in our life? I was reading the the late A.W. Tozer. He explained it this way. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. But then he explains that the Holy Spirit had withdrawn from the New Testament church. 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. What do you think about that? You think he got it right? The truth is the Holy Spirit is God's great gift to us. But I think the reality is we don't know what to do with him. We, it's kind of like a, a distant relative, you know, comes around from time to time and and we want to be welcoming and, and accepting because that's what you're supposed to do. But it's kind of awkward. And we're just not sure what to do about it. We should know about the Spirit. And John writes about Him in the book of First John. And he's writing about if you're going to walk like Jesus walked, if you're going to live like Jesus lived, then you need to know about the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we talk about it, but I'm not sure how much we live about it. Much about what I'm going to talk about, I, I will just tell you, I, I, I feel like for me, it's a little bit of a confession. I didn't grow up hearing this. Uh, I didn't grow up understanding this. And that frustrates me a little bit. Maybe you can relate. And I say that maybe it was taught, maybe it was said, and I just didn't have ears to hear. So I don't want to put the blame on anybody other than myself. I do remember learning a lot about this is what it means to believe in Jesus. These are the rules to follow. This is what you do. 
and this is what you don't do. I, I do remember learning that kind of thing, but somehow, for me, I missed this idea that the Holy Spirit is this awesome gift from God that the Bible talks about. And really, there's no point in, in my estimation talking about all the other stuff if we, if we miss this, because He's the power that makes it happen. So John, in writing this letter, he's writing to the Christians, and he's just really clear, he's just obvious about where the power comes from. And I think one of the greatest tragedies that could take place within the church, or really for any Christian, is to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and to be just vaguely aware of it. To not understand, to not understand what we've got. We have this incredible gift from God, but sometimes, just like other gifts, it just kind of goes on the shelf. Or we leave it in the box, or it gets stuffed in the closet. We've got it, we received it, but we don't really use it. But if you're going to follow Jesus, John makes this point, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to need the power of God living in you just to be able to do that. But what I want to do before we look at what John wrote in the book of 1 John, I want to go back and look at what Jesus said to John about this coming spirit. So open your Bibles to John 14. The verses won't be on the screen. You just need to open your Bibles with us. If you didn't bring one, there's one on the pew in front of you. Because I want us to see what Jesus taught John about the Holy Spirit. Because for John, this would have been a new concept for him. He was learning. All of this was new. All of the disciples wanted to know what this was like. And to give you a little context from John 14, Jesus is preparing his followers for his departure. He's about to leave them. His days are numbered. He's going to be crucified soon. He's going to be going to heaven. And no doubt the disciples would feel abandoned, left alone. And so Jesus is sharing some things to explain to them. He wants to prepare them for that. So in John 14, 18, it says there in verse 18, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave you alone, but you're not alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And then he explains what he means. Look in verse 26. John 14, 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. But they are afraid, aren't they? And they are troubled. They don't like this talk about Jesus leaving. It makes them uncomfortable. When they think about Jesus leaving, you think about that. Jesus is right there with them. And had been with them now for, for three years. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to be leaving and God's going to be sending this Spirit. My guess is to the disciples, to John, as he's hearing this, trying to process this, what does this mean? You think, you think, that's not really a good trade. I mean, Jesus was with them in the flesh. I mean, if Jesus talked about follow me, he, he's right there with them and they're literally following him. So when somebody's hungry, Jesus is there to feed them. When somebody needs healing, Jesus is there to heal them. When somebody has a tough question, Jesus is there with them to answer. They like this idea of Jesus being with them. We do too. You ever read through this and you, you wish you could go back and be a disciple? To walk with Jesus? To just be right there with Him? Of course you do. I think there's a tendency, probably for the disciples and certainly sometimes for us, 
to see this Holy Spirit as sort of this third leg of this Trinity, kind of like a, a junior varsity. We've got God the Father, and now we've got Jesus the Son. We're seeing Him. And then He talks about this Spirit. And again, we're not sure what to do with Him. Even the way we talk about the Holy Spirit, I think sometimes reveals a little bit of our uncertainty. The questions we ask. We'll say things like, I don't get it, you know. What is the Holy Spirit? You ever heard that question? And I think it's a good question. But listen to how we word it. What is the Holy Spirit? To even ask the question, what? That reveals what we don't understand. It's not a what. It's a who. But when we ask that question, what is the Holy Spirit? What that reveals is, we don't understand that it is a who. It is a person. It is someone to have a relationship. If you go through the Scriptures, and we don't have time to do all of them tonight, but what you'll see when the Spirit is mentioned, it is a person. It is an individual personality. Let me just share just a couple of the verbs attributed to the Spirit. He speaks. He acts. He leads. He calls. He guides. He forbids. He knows. He teaches. He decides. He grieves. It's not what. It's who. And we need to know that. It's not some mysterious, mysterious ethereal, this, this, this ooh, I don't know what it is kind of a spirit. Just as Jesus was God in the flesh, the Holy Spirit is God in the spirit. And I think understanding that impacts how we relate to Him. And I think that it helps us to, to hear how Jesus describes the spirit. Look there back in John 14, verse 16. You back up just a little bit in the chapter. Here's what Jesus says to the disciples. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Now, if you're like me, the word that kind of sticks out here is that word counselor. We wonder, what is that word counselor? But I want to call your attention to another word. It's the word another. If you're an underliner, I encourage you to underline that word another. I will ask the Father. He will give you another I think it's a fair statement to say to understand that the, the Godhead, all three, is challenging. And none of us get it completely. I don't know that we ever will until we see God face to face and He explains it to us. But I think one word here in this sentence helps us to maybe have a better understanding. And it's that word, another. How God is the Father and God is the Son and God is the Holy Spirit. In our Bibles, in, in our English Bibles, there are two words that typically in our translations are translated uh, another. There's one Greek word, it's called heteros. And that word heteros literally means another of the same kind or of a similar kind. Something kind of like something else. It's kind of like it. That's the word heteros or heteros. Now, another Greek word that is also translated another is the word alos. A-L-L-O-S. And that means another of the exact same kind. So to understand those two options, the question is, which word did Jesus use here when He says, I'm going to send you another counselor? Was it heteros or was it alos? What's well, alos? Not someone kind of like me. He's saying someone exactly like me. We're the same. And that's so important. 
I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and He will send exactly like me. Another comforter. And suddenly this begins to answer a lot of questions we have about the Spirit. Jesus is exactly like the Spirit. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When you know one, you know the other. You know, Jesus would say that. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the Spirit is right there with them. So Jesus is saying to John and all the other disciples, look, don't be afraid. I know I've been with you. I mean, I'm leaving, but I'm going to live within you. That's what he's saying here. Turn over a couple of chapters. Turn to John 16. In John 14, where we've been reading, Jesus is, is preparing his disciples for that moment. In John 16, that moment has come. I mean, it is time. Jesus is leaving. So the question in all their minds is, it's what he said is true. The time is here. So how is all of this going to work? In John 16, 7, Jesus says to John and the disciples, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. How can that be true? Jesus said to him, it is for your good that I'm going away. They had to stop at that moment and think, wait a minute, maybe even argue with him in their own minds. Say, no, that that can't be true. But Jesus says, it's for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Again, think about what's happening here. John sitting there with the disciples as Jesus is explaining this to them. And he's trying to take it in. Actually, it's better. It's better for Jesus to go and for the Spirit to come. That's a profound truth, isn't it? I don't think we ever think of it that way, but that's what Jesus is saying, is it not? That God with you is good. God in you is better. God with you is good, but God in you is better. And what would it look like if we understood that this gift that we've been given, the Holy Spirit, is actually better than the disciples having Jesus right there with them in the flesh? So instead of reading through the Gospels and having a sense of envy, like, oh, wouldn't that be neat to know that what we have is even better? That if they were to see us, maybe when we see them in heaven, they would say, tell us, what was it like for the Spirit of God to live in you? Jesus says it's better for you if I go, because if I go, then He will come. God with you is good. God in you is better. But sometimes we look at His disciples and we think, you know, if I was with Jesus, I would follow Him. I'd give up everything. I'd never doubt. I'd be so devoted But Jesus is saying, God in you is better. He's reassuring the disciples. As John is writing, let's remember, John has personally experienced this. He's not just writing theory here. He's experienced this. He's known the power. He's found the power in the Spirit. So now he writes to these Christians this letter that we call 1 John because he knows how important it is for them to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, and the power is in the Spirit. And there are a number of verses in 1 John. I just want to read a couple of them. I'll read some of them from the NIV. Some of them I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And the reason I want to do that, because depending on what translation you read from, the NIV will use the word like anointing. And that's an okay translation, but I think sometimes we trip over that word too. 
But the New Living Translation just uses the word Holy Spirit. You might mark these down. You go back and, and read them more in depth later. First John 2.20 But you are not like that, for the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and all of you know the truth. First John 2.27 But you have received the Holy Spirit, and He lives within you. First John 3.24 And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He has given us. 1 John 4, 4. The Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. 1 John 4, 13. And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. We could park on any one of those verses for the rest of the night. But what we see again and again and again, almost like a refrain through this book, repeated over and over again, the Spirit is in you. You have the gift of the Spirit. You have the power. God's Spirit lives in you. This reminder after reminder. This is God's gift to His children. This is the way He wants it to be. Don't put it under the bed. Don't hide it in the closet. Don't leave it in the box. You use this gift to its fullest. The Holy Spirit is a gift that every Christian receives. Don't we believe that? When we go back and we try to understand what it means to be a part of this church, we open our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2. We understand after that first sermon, they realize that they've just murdered the Son of God. The Bible says they're cut to the heart. So they ask Peter and the disciples, what do we do? What do we do about this? What's our response? Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom our Lord, the Lord our God will call. All of us. Every Christian receives this gift. But it seems like, it seems like some have received this gift and they don't even know it. You know what I mean? I mean, like, the, this is what the Bible says, but it's like they don't realize that the gift they've been given. Have you ever received a gift like that? That you, you received a gift and you didn't really know what to do with it? I mean, you just, you just weren't, weren't sure. Maybe you're overwhelmed. And I think about it especially, it, it happens with innovation. It happens with technology. I mean, we talked about electricity a moment ago. When electricity first came about, some of the people, they would have it put into their homes and they would turn it on just long enough so they could see their way to light their gas lamps and turn it back off. Do you remember when microwaves came along? Why do I need a microwave? Why? Hundreds and hundreds of dollars I can melt butter on the stove. Why do I need a cell phone? Well, I know where I'm going. Why do I need a GPS? These great innovations, people give them to you and say, oh, thank you very much. And we just kind of put it to the... You ever received a gift like that? I mean, this great tool, this wonderful gadget, this neat appliance, something that's going to make life better. And we kind of look at it and go, thank you very much, but we're just kind of happy with the way we're doing things. See, it's not a question of if you've been given the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, you've been given the Holy Spirit. I put this on your study guide there. It's not a question if you receive the gift. It's a question if you're being filled with His power. That's the question. Everyone's been given the, the gift. If you're a child of God, you've been given the gift. The question is, are you being filled with His power? And I know there are many in here, just like me, maybe a time of your life, or maybe a time is coming, where you're going to need that power. 
the power that is in this Holy Spirit. Now, we may not use that word in the way we describe it, but that's what it is. You might not call it power. You might call it direction. We're at an impasse. Maybe we're in a relationship and we want to know what's God's will. I need God to help. I need God to intervene. Or maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a situation there with our work. And we just don't know what to do. So we think it through. We talk to people. We rationalize. But what we really need to do is pray, God, fill me with your spirit. And let God's spirit be our God to give us his direction, to give us his power. You might not call it power, but you might call it strength. Or let me say comfort first. Comfort because maybe you're living without a loved one for the first time. There's an empty chair at your table. And you don't know if you can make it. You need God's comfort. That's His power. Or maybe strength. You may not call it His power, but it is His strength. Maybe you're struggling with the same sin Maybe it's the same situation, the same issue for so long. You feel so defeated. You feel so guilty. You can't ever seem to get beyond it. Satan has his, his, his grip on you. And what you need is strength. You need his power. Sometimes you come to church and you hear message after message of all the things you're not supposed to do and all the things you're supposed to do. And so the guilt just piles up. And so what you say, you know what? I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder to, to, to be a pleasing child of God. Well, let me just say, you don't need to try harder. You need to tap into the power of the Spirit and submit to Him because it's not within your own strength. See, for Christians, it's not a question of if you've received the gift. It's a question of if you've filled with the power. Dr. Bill Bright tells a story in his book, How to Be Filled with the Spirit, about this farmer in the oil fields of West, West Texas Hills. It, it was called, this oil field was called Yates Pool. But the situation was this. It was the depression. Everybody was struggling just to, to eat. I mean, to even to pay the mortgage. They, they were just trying to pay the interest on the mortgage. It was desperate times. He was having to take government subsidies. He didn't want to do it, but he was just trying to keep his head afloat, keep his family fed. And it was stressful, not knowing if he's going to make it. How much longer is this going to last? Well, someone from the oil field, the oil company came and asked if they could do a test on his property. They asked permission. He agreed. At 1,115 feet, they struck this huge oil reserve. The first well came in at over 80,000 barrels a day. Other drills, uh, other wells were drilled more than twice that amount. Thirty years after that first drilling, they found one well where there was 125,000 barrels of oil coming every day. And here's the point. Mr. Yates, as Dr. Bright was talking about, Mr. Yates owned it all the whole time. Living like a pauper, living in poverty, uh, poverty having to take a government handout. But he was a multimillionaire. He just didn't know it. He didn't realize this gold mine that he was sitting on. Is that in any way an illustration of the power of God that's available to us? That sometimes we live like we are in poverty. We need joy. 
We need peace. We need strength. We need help. And God's so eager to give it to us and we never tap in. See, it's not a question if you've received the gift. It's if you're being filled with His power. Let me share this. Without the power of the Spirit, there's a couple of things that I think we are susceptible to. If you are not living in the power, if you're not walking in the power, there's a couple of things to, to, to bear in mind. One is a self-righteous spirit. If you're not walking in the power of God, when you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we tend to want to do everything ourselves in our own power, in our own strength. And when we do, and we do a good job, we say, hey, look what I did. And we pat ourselves on the back. Any holiness or righteousness that we're able to drum up somehow, where we take the credit for it. We put the focus on human effort. And if you remember, Paul would write to the churches in the Galatia area and rebuke them for this whole mindset to think that we could bring our own righteousness. Galatians 3.3, he says, Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Yeah, they were. And sometimes we do too. We can very much have the same self-righteous spirit. When you do it in your own effort and you're not relying on God to fill you and give you His power, it leads to self-righteousness. But secondly, we become susceptible to this guilt-ridden religion. Because if it's all about us, if it's all about us, then necessarily, then the number one motivator for, for our churches, for our lessons, for our parents, for our peers is guilt and shame. And we're good at that. We can use that. And you feel so beat up. You never get ahead. You never move past it. You never feel forgiven. Because again, you're doing it in your own power. You're not doing it in His power. But the third thing we become susceptible to is just false teaching. And primarily what I'm talking about is what John is addressing in his book. He's talking about a worldview, what is culturally popular. Everybody out there is thinking it. But it's not of God. It's not biblically correct. It's false teaching. John writes to them in John, First uh, uh, John chapter two, verse twenty-six. Because I'm writing these things to you about those things about those who were trying to lead you astray. So there were people there, even within the church. These teachers who were coming in, they're trying to pull you offside. And the most dominant false teaching we learn about in these early days of the church, first several centuries. You've heard this before, you've studied it, it's Gnosticism. But we don't know a lot about it, but we know enough, this, this belief system, because it was plaguing the early church. And so the, these writers of these early letters were trying to help the church to understand how it's wrong. You know, everybody's thinking it, and it's crept into the church. Christians are thinking it, he's saying it's not of Scripture. Gnosticism, I want to get into it in detail, but let me share two false premises. The first is dualism. It's like a dualism approach of life. It's where matter and spirit are different. You know, they had the mindset that everything of, uh, of the body is dirty, everything of the spirit is clean. And so I can still be good in God's eyes, even though maybe in my body I'm participating in sin. They saw this huge line of separation. Now, as we hear that, we think, well, that's just kind of bizarre, but we do the same thing today, don't we? I mean, we can act one way during the week, but as long as I go to church on Sunday, then I'm good. And so there's like two different people. 
It's like dualism. The same worldview that they were dealing with, we deal with it today. And it can creep into our minds as well. I think it's so true. I think it really happens. But another false premise of Gnosticism is the idea that we're saved through enlightenment. That there's just a select few, some special chosen ones who receive this special divine enlightenment. In other words, your, your salvation comes through knowledge. It comes through certain information. And that's where we look for our salvation. Again, it should sound familiar. And he's saying, hey, let me warn you about this. Look there uh, right after 26, verse 27 from the New Living Translation. But you've received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. God is your standard. Not these other people who think they've got some special revelation, some special knowledge. God is your standard. You don't need this higher level of enlightenment. So again, it's not a question of if you've received. It's if you're being filled. Well, I'm not sure how to wrap up. Let me just share a couple of things. Maybe just how to... Um, how to do this. How do we acknowledge the power? How are we filled with the power? Just a few things. The first is this. I believe it's a continual prayer. And we see this in Scripture. I think for each of us, as God's children, who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, every day, we just make a commitment every day to say a simple prayer Lord, fill me with your spirit. Whether that's first thing in the morning, at the end of the day, at some point every day, it's a way of putting him back on the throne. It's a way of acknowledging his power. It's a way of acknowledging that everything you do is going to be because he's he's the one who's going to make it happen. So when you're not sure about a relationship, when you're not sure about a, a work decision, when you're not sure about what to do with the family, you're not sure, maybe you're just stressed out. Maybe it's fear. What are you afraid of? Lord, would you just fill me with your spirit? Just take that moment before you even proceed to acknowledge that if you're going to make it, you're going to make it not because you tried and not because you believed everything correctly, but because of his power. But as soon as I say that, I want to confess to you, this is something I'm not good at. You know, I like to fix things. I don't want to ask for help. I want to do it in my own power. And so to stop every day and say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. I, I can do that. And sometimes I do that. But you know what I do? Lord, fill me with your spirit. Okay, I got to go. I don't say that, but I think that. And I'm not, I'm not still long enough. It's kind of like, has your child ever come to you and they want to refill and they're kind of doing this with their cup? And you think, if you just set it down, then I'll fill your cup. And I wonder if that's not the way we are with God. We, we want Him to fill us, but we're on the run. And God would just say, be still and know that I am God. Lord, fill me with Your Spirit. You ever seen a child try to catch a butterfly? You know, even when they're everywhere and they go mad chasing them. And it's futile. And you try to convince them, just sit down. It's only a matter of time until they come to you. It's a beautiful thing. 
for a child way of thinking, they're not there. And sometimes we're just like big kids. Maybe that's an image of how we often try to relate with the Holy Spirit. One author said this, and this stuck with me. The Holy Spirit is not seized. The Holy Spirit is received. And that requires sometimes just being still long enough to be filled. Well, here's the second thing. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means being emptied of me every day. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And then let me get out of the way. Let me move aside. Some days I do this and some days I don't. Maybe you're the same. I think my wife could probably tell when I don't. The hardest part for me in being filled with the Spirit is sometimes I want to take His place. And I want to do it. I want to do it my way. In my time. I want to help Him out. Imagine your heart is like a boardroom. The big table, big nice cushy chairs around the conference table. And in that boardroom, you've got all these chairs. And in each chair is sort of a, a representative for a part of your life. Sort of a part of your, your heart. You've got your work self. You've got your religious self. You have your sexual self, you have your financial self, you've got your hobbies, you've got relationships, you've got dreams. And they're all at the table. And they're all a part of you. And they all want their way. And so they're having this discussion. And they're ready to vote because they all get to vote. And so sometimes one of these are extremely loud and maybe they get their way. And we, if we're not careful, because we're so used to that, we have all these different voices, all these different pulls, that when we become a child of God and we realize that we have the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, we think, oh good. And we invite the Holy Spirit to come in and we give Him a chair. And we want Him to vote too. But I can't help but think at times like that, when all these voices are screaming, the Holy Spirit just abstains from voting. Because it's chaos. See, to become a child of God and to receive the Holy Spirit and to be filled as the Bible talks about is not just adding another chair to the table so that that vote will be a vote for God. It's fire everybody else on the committee. Don't even let them talk. Let God's voice be the loudest voice. Let His will be what drives us. To say to God, today my heart belongs to you. Today I want you to fill me with your spirit and I want to get off the throne. It's a daily exercise. One person explained it this way. They said the filling of the spirit does not mean the believer gets more of the Holy Spirit, but rather the Holy Spirit gets more of the believer. Look in your Bibles, 1 John 4, 4. All these verses are, are powerful, no pun intended. But this one to me just stands out. 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. He's talking about all the different spirits and powers that, that be. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
This is how you overcome. Overcome is one of those words that the Bible uses to describe Christians. And the word overcome in the Greek is a word that you know. You wear it. It's in your closet. You might even have it on tonight. You know what it is? Nike. Nike means victorious. Nike means conqueror. Nike means overcame. And that's the word used here. John says, look, you are an overcomer because the one who is in you is great. Greater than the one who's in the world. When I was preparing this message, there's so many things that I wanted to share and, and say, but I, I did come across this where a guy asked his, his Facebook friends to finish the sentence, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he got bunches of answers. But he noticed this word overcame was used. He didn't ask that. He just said, by the power of the Holy Spirit, blank. But the answers were like, I overcame drug addiction. I overcame a shopping addiction. I overcame an eating disorder. I overcame my wife's infidelity. I overcame an abusive childhood. Again, he didn't ask, what did you overcome by the power of the Spirit? He just said, by the power of the Spirit. And all these people, that's what came to mind. They overcame the very word that John wrote in this letter. I put in your study guide there the same question. And I want that to be sort of your homework. By the power of the Holy Spirit, how would you fill in the blank? Now, you might go back and, and talk about something God did for you, and that's good. But that's not where I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you right now. Present tense. What are you doing today that if God were to leave you, you couldn't do it without His Spirit? Think about that. By the power of the Holy Spirit, what are you doing? How is God living in you? How is God feeling you? Paul would write to the Ephesians and say, be filled with the Spirit. This is not just a First John thing. This is a Bible thing. This is a God thing. I say that not to make you feel guilty. I want you to understand it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God's Spirit living in us. So this gift is available. Anyone who wants to receive it. I can't help but think when we talk about salvation... Instead of just mentioning about never going to hell or getting to go to heaven or sins being washed away, we need just as equally stress the importance of the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have God living in you. Jesus would say, with you is good, but God living in you is better. Do you believe it? We're going to sing a song to encourage you to accept the gift of the Holy Spirit. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Let Him wash you clean in baptism and give you His gift. Give you His power. Let Him fill you. 
Or if we can just pray for you in your walk, that He'll do just the same. Why don't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you.